Chapter 7. Finger Painting It was a big deal for me to go out on that first big job. I grew up in a house that was always starving for money. Both my parents were always working whatever jobs they could until they divorced. Then my dad outright gave up, and my mom spent more time trying to keep us from noticing that her shit wasn't together than she did being a parent. Mom would leave us kids, and we would be on our own, eating whatever we liked and staying up as late as we wanted. At some point, maybe when I was 9 or 10, I knew that I would have to be a better parent to myself than my mom and dad were, so my sister and I got our shit together. We did our homework, we got ourselves to bed on time, and we cleaned our messes. We held our lives together and made sure we were responsible when none of the adults, who were supposed to be, wouldn't or just plain couldn't. By the time I was 19, my work ethic had taken root in me. I had worked my way up through a series of low-paying jobs, and I had started a job sweeping at a nearby piping and structural fabrication shop in high school for extra credits. My hard work got me placed into an apprenticeship as soon as I graduated. It was a big deal for me, and I took it straight to heart. It was a four-year program, with two months of school at the end of each year. I made sure I always went on time. I was ahead of the curve, got excellent grades, and stayed away from the booze and the drugs on the work site and school. By then I had known plenty of people that had gotten themselves deep enough into that for all of us. My first job at a trade school was a small booster station in the boonies somewhere west of Red Deer. We were building a new pumping station for the company that put me through my apprenticeship. I was 21 years old and they were already aware of my work ethic by that point, and they treated me very well, which I appreciated. I got on the project just as I got out of my last year of trade school, and it was a couple of weeks into the gig that my ticket came in, and the guys higher up all threw me a party in the main office trailer with cake and a promotion. At 21, just out of trade school, I would be running my own crew on the night shift. Just a small crew, taking direction from the guys on days, but a big deal nonetheless. It came with a pretty good raise to boot. While I was starting that job, my mom was fired from her job, and I had to start paying her utilities so that she could still afford rum and smokes. My dad worked on a sporadic road crew for 13 bucks an hour. My sister, who graduated high school that summer, had just started university and had her problems, specifically a mountain of debt to overcome. I was pulling down 35 an hour, and time and a half on all the overtime, which was also plentiful. I was the man of the house, and I felt I had finally made it, and I was proud, as well I should have been. The job went well, and I took to the duties quickly until they became second nature. I had two welders who each worked with a helper and a laborer who ran the tool crib for us on nights. On a typical night, we had one guy out on remote locations installing pilings for the utilities and infrastructure we would be bringing to the site. The other welder would be on the primary work site in a fabrication tent, fitting up all the small piping with his helper and welding it up. I ran a tight ship. On day shift, the head guys gave us a list of things to do every day before they left, and we would meet or exceed it every night. Welded inches always were completed. My progress reports were always waiting for the guys when they got back in the morning. We were kicking ass. It was a small job, and there weren't too many rules. The main thing that I had to be aware of was that the superintendent was a bit of a stickler when it came to the office complex, a big, brand new portable office that housed all the supervision on day shift, another three guys like me. Those foremen all had larger crews than I did, and they needed the extra space. The soup had given me keys to the office trailer when I got set up as the foreman to drop off all the progress reports 
and any other documentation that might come my way. It came with a somber warning, keep the fuck out of there unless I was dropping off reports. The soup went through a bad experience on another site where a bunch of disgruntled peckerheads got into the office, took a bunch of stationery, and messed the place up beyond reason. The superintendent was strict about that and let me know that he would be locking the bathroom in the office just in case anyone got the hot idea to sneak in there for an executive shit on nights. Being appreciative of the job, I obeyed and kept on the straight and narrow. That meant more than one uncomfortable dump at three in the morning in a cold blue porta potty at the edge of the lease. No big deal. As the winter set in and the seat on the porta potty got colder and colder, the other guys on my crew would beg me to get into the main office to do their business. One of the guys was so adamant that I had the keys to the executive shitter, he insisted that I take him into the main office complex and show him once and for all that the keys I had didn't work in the men's bathroom. For the priceless peace that shutting him up would bring, I obliged him, and even mopped up our wet boot prints afterward, careful not to leave a mess while he went back to work, humbled and disgruntled that he couldn't take that executive dump that he so craved. The other guys didn't know that the women's washroom, painted in tradesman-repellent bubblegum pink, was still open for business, and always lovely and warm. Even though I knew this, I still didn't go in there. I fancied myself an honest man. Thanksgiving rolled around, and they gave us a long weekend, with the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off before the holiday. And being the hard worker I was, I knew that a guy should enjoy his time off just as much as he enjoyed the work. So I did just that. Even though I had just moved into a three-bedroom townhouse with my new girlfriend in the summer of that year, my mother, the proud lady that she is, wanted to host us for dinner in her little bachelor unit. She could see that I was doing well, and I had helped her out, so she wanted to repay the favor with a nice Thanksgiving dinner, a feat that she had never attempted in all of my childhood. On Thanksgiving, my girlfriend, my sister, and I all had crowded into Mum's apartment for a fully stuffed utility turkey which was missing both wings, a drumstick, and all the trimmings. Mashed and sweet potatoes with gravy, cranberry sauce, creamed corn, you name it. There was even a store-bought pumpkin pie with a spray can of authentic whipped cream for dessert. Mom had gone all out. When we got into her apartment, the smell was terrific. Mom already had the glow of a two-martini marathon, and to my surprise, everything looked great. It was the childhood special occasion dinner I had never had. We sat down to eat, and Mum plopped the turkey in front of me with a carving knife. The man of the house should carve the turkey, she said. And since your father refused my invitation and decided to go to an all-inclusive with his new whore, I figured that you're about the only real man I know anymore. Sigmund Freud sighed deeply in my subconscious. I grabbed the knife and fork and gave my mum the biggest smile I could muster, along with, Thanks, Mum, and dug into the bird. My sister and girlfriend both had their heads down to stifle their laughter. I dug into the bird, and Mum had gone to rummage in the kitchen for a corkscrew. The knife slid into the turkey breast and released the smell of the stuffing. It smelled good, but how it looked underneath the first few millimeters of flesh wasn't entirely on par with the smell. I could tell right away that this bird hadn't been in the oven long enough. Rubbery, translucent flesh shined out from the underside of the breast. How long did you cook this for? I asked Mum. What it said on the wrapper, she spat back. Did you thaw it first, I asked. I took it out of the freezer last night and put it in the fridge overnight. It should be fine, she said, finding the corkscrew in an overloaded drawer. 
I shot my sister and my girlfriend a concerned look. They both chuckled under their breath as I continued to carve the underdone bird, careful to sort the better cooked pieces from the outside of the turkey from the lesser cooked parts in the middle. We all dished up, careful not to take any turkey from the uncooked pile. Mom sat down at the table and surveyed all of our plates. My sister and girlfriend had each taken roughly the same amount of bird on their plates as I had, but Mom clocked me for not taking enough turkey. What, you don't have an appetite? She shot at me, ignoring the other two at the table. I'm throwing any leftovers out. Come on, for Christ's sakes, eat! I begrudgingly hauled more turkey off the plate, just one more chunk or two, watching her face as I shoveled enough to make her happy. Once she was satisfied that there was enough on my plate, she lit up again, toasting us all with a way-too-full glass of red wine. Mum had two of those big glasses of wine with that dinner. She was in no shape to do the dishes, so we all banded together to get them done while she watched her favorite movie, Dirty Dancing, on her old tube TV that sat on a milk crate and duct tape dais next to her creepy porcelain figurine collection. I scraped the leftover turkey into the garbage, noting that under the harsher lights in the kitchen, the meat was way more undercooked than I first thought. I shook it off. I mean, I was a rough and gruff tradesman that had the guts of a billy goat. After we got things cleaned up and made sure Mum couldn't kill herself with the uncooked meat of the utility turkey, we headed back to my house for a laugh and way too many drinks. I woke the following day to the phone ringing in the next room. I cranked myself out of bed, noting the hangover, as the reality of it crept into my skull further with every vertical inch as I stood up out of bed. I recognized my boss's number on the call display right away. Hey man, pretty hungover this morning, my boss asked. Not too bad, I lied. Think you might be able to work a shift tonight? I called your crew and they are all in if you are. The soup got a call from the inspector yesterday and he's available for a hydro test tomorrow on all the underground piping you guys laid. My heart sank. I wanted to enjoy the time off, but I couldn't say no. I think I might be able to make it work, I said. Great, the boss said. The soup will be happy. You'll put the project ahead by a week. Bonuses, buddy. Bonuses. Just one night. Thanks, man. I hung up the phone and took a couple of headache pills with a glass of water and went back to bed for a few hours before I had to head out for the night's work. When I got up to go to work that night, I grabbed a bowl of cereal and it hit my guts like a lead ball, which I knew was strange, but at the time I was more worried about how I would look if I showed up appearing hungover than what was going on in my stomach. I got myself dressed and headed out for work. The cold Alberta air hit me and it felt great on my head as the headache gave way. I drove half the way to work, ten minutes in the car, before I felt the knot starting to form in my guts. It felt like a twisting knife at first, with the intense twisting feeling eventually giving way to giant bubbles that would form somewhere deep inside of my intestines that pushed air around inside of me like beach balls being forced underwater at a pool party. I was starting to sweat, and I caught a glimpse of my face in the rearview mirror. I was pale. I got to the job. Hopped out of the car, trying not to look like my shit wasn't together, and had a look around. My best welder was there with his helper. Stealing myself to the situation, I got them going, installing the test equipment on the underground piping, and moving the fill cart full of methanol over to the test area. Things in my guts were getting dire. It was October, and starting to get bitterly cold outside. But I was sweating. I scanned the landscape for a place to shoot the cocoa. I spied the only porta potty on the lease on the far side of the plot and made my way as discreetly as I could to it, 
having to clench my ass cheeks and waddling from about the midway point, I barely made it. Once inside, it became a race against time to get my coveralls off and my pants down. It felt like I couldn't clench my ass shut hard enough. I hurriedly sat down on the bowl and emptied the guts in one push, a hot, messy ordeal that left me doubled over on the john, clenching my guts and praying for it to be over. When the pain finally stopped and all the bad stuff had left me, I went to grab some toilet paper, but it was all gone. Nice. A strange calm had washed over me, the sort of stoic peace that brushed me with an immediate acceptance of my situation. I was going to have to throw my underwear away. My jeans had a healthy amount of what Bob Ross referred to as Van Dyke Brown in them also. The results weren't as fantastic for me as they were for Bob. I somehow had managed to shoot shit down the inside of each leg. There was a generous splash on the inner seam of the crotch. I mopped up with my underwear, which was a cheap pair of tidy whiteies. I would miss them. Going commando was a zipper risk to the old trouser snake, if you know what I mean. I did the best I could to clean up, tossing my shorts onto the pile of brown and blue sludge in the bottom of the porta potty. I then went to work on doffing my jeans, being careful not to get any stank on my legs as I removed them with all the care of a bomb disposal expert. I balled them up and tossed them into the blue lagoon of chemical shit water at the bottom of the potty. I had to get used to the idea that I would have to go the rest of the night commando under my coveralls. I knew I had already burned through my insurance policy if I had to shit like that again. The work after that went smoothly. We had the hydro test filled and up to pressure within the first two hours. The representative inspector for the regulator arrived and was ready to witness the sign-off once the test was complete. Near the end of the shift, after he had signed all the paperwork off, the inspector took one look at me and knew something was wrong. You okay, man? The inspector asked me. I had been getting progressively worse and I had started to shake. I was sweating despite the temperature dropping into the negatives overnight. I hadn't had a chance to look at my face, but I knew that I was pale, more so even than what I had first noticed on my drive there. I was crashing fast and couldn't get out of there soon enough. I'm fine, I replied. I think I might have gotten food poisoning, but I think I can make it. I lied to the inspector, mostly to convince myself. Sure thing, bud, the older man, wise in his years, said to me before he handed the signed-off inspection report and hopped into his nice warm truck. That was it. Job complete. All I had to do was drop the paperwork onto the superintendent's desk in the office complex, and I could go home and sweat it out. No one would see me at my worst. I waved to my welder and helper, who were already a step ahead of me. They were already rolled up and ready to go, and my hand gesture was all they needed. They got into their already warmed-up rig and peeled out in a grey cloud of diesel exhaust smoke. I started my perilous trek across the lease and made it about five steps into the journey before I was stopped dead in my tracks by something that made me feel like I was being punched in the guts. Round two. The second wave of the great brownout was already stampeding its way to my tender young balloon knot, and there was fuck all I could do about it except run this weird kind of three-legged dog run to the closest shithouse a sort of possessed, lurching zombie walk. I got close, about 40 feet away from the porta potty before I reminded myself that there was no toilet paper left in there. Unless I wanted to go home half-naked or wipe hot liquid shit onto the inspection report I had in my hand, I had nothing left to wipe my ass with unless I wanted to use the seat of my car. I turned and headed for the forbidden land. I was going to empty my guts in the ladies' washroom in the office complex. 
The way there continued the zombie lurch march as I fought the elements and used every muscle that would cooperate with my body in the growing cold not to fill my coveralls with shit. I made it to the front door and took the steps as fast as possible without unclenching anything. Any mistake now would release the sickening deluge. As I opened the door, the warm air hit me, and I couldn't help it. I started to let go. Shit ran down my leg, and I hurriedly dropped the paperwork on the front desk as I threw caution to the wind and flat out sprinted to the bubblegum pink safety of the ladies' washroom. Picking the closest stall, I sat down and emptied all I had left. I was doubled over in pain as the shit left me so fast I thought I felt my intestine clap itself shut. Eyes closed, I did my dirty business in the forbidden bathroom. Damn the consequences, this was life or death. As the last heave left me, I opened my eyes and took in the landscape of the full-scale disaster that I had unleashed. During my hurried waddle into the ladies' room, I had inadvertently been trickling shit out of my pants and onto the floor. A trail of vile stink ran from the stall where I was sitting to the door, possibly outside the door. Panic flooded me. I looked at my legs. They were covered in shit. I glanced at my watch and saw that it was 5.45 in the morning, and the office ladies were due in for 7.30. Panic math told me that I had about an hour and a half to get myself sorted out and clean this mess up before the office ladies showed up. I took my coveralls right off and wiped myself up, this time with proper toilet paper. I was naked from the waist down, but I didn't care. I didn't have time for that. I thought briefly about someone coming in and catching me this way, and thought about digging my jeans out of the porta potty but I quickly let go of that horrid fantasy. Pushing the useless thoughts down, I refocused on the task at hand. I stepped over the hot liquid turd splotch that pockmarked the floor like Indiana Jones navigating the deadly booby traps built into some dusty stone floor and made my way to the sink. I wetted some paper towels from the wall dispenser and used them to clean the cooling and coagulating shit from my legs and ass and threw it all into a garbage bag lined trash can. I took a good look at that trash can and thought that I would need it later. I took more paper towels and started sponging up the crap on the floor. It soon became clear that the cheap pulp of the paper towels was not very good at absorbing human feces, and they were running out too quickly. The last towels were quickly soiled and far too disgusting to hold. I tossed the brown towels into the bin and crawled on all fours, trying unsuccessfully to avoid my mess on the floor, into another stall. I pulled as much toilet paper off the roll as I could, but there wasn't much left on there. Fuck me, I thought. How much ass wipe did these ladies use? Never mind. Wipe, man, wipe! I crawled back to no man's land and started swabbing frantically with the toilet paper. It produced the same effect. I was now just smearing my shit around on the dirty, off-white, tiled floor, making the world's largest and most disgusting finger painting. I kept wiping, eventually coating most of the bathroom floor in my art, and some of the central area outside of the bathroom, too. I had to come up with another plan. I hopped to my feet, my knees and shins now scraped and soiled with brown spots. A thought popped into my head. The utility closet. I bolted down the hall to get what I knew would be an oasis of mops, buckets, detergents. An oasis in my poop desert. I found the door locked, not just at the knob, the superintendent had also installed a padlock on a clasp latch. A hand-scrawled note on the door instructed the cleaning staff to come to him for the key. Man, I thought, 
This guy runs a tight ship. I got back to the mess and took another look at it, trying to gather my thoughts. My higher perspective made it look way worse than when I was down on all fours. The edges of my cleaned area had dried and looked like they were permanently etching themselves into the tile, making a permanent tattoo on the floor that would surely give me away. I was fucked. I thought of a story I had read that said some police and firefighters lose their minds when the alarms in the fire hall go off, or when they flip the sirens on. Some of them will spin around in circles, wondering if they put on their rubber boots before their raincoat, or they'll forget to put the car into gear before they enter a hot pursuit. That accurately described me at that moment. I spun around, looking at anything, everything, and nothing, looking for something that I could use that I hadn't seen or noticed before. There was nothing. I ran a hand through my hair, oblivious to the shit I was spreading through my hair. There was shit everywhere else, I thought. Why not in my hair, too? I looked at my watch. I had an hour if one of the ladies coming in that morning was a keener. An hour and a half if they got there on time. I thought of running. Running out and quitting. I knew it would have likely been the end of my job. All that work I put in, all the goodwill I had built would have been for nothing. I looked down at my naked dick, balls and legs and the shit all over me. Was I going out like this? Not on your fucking life. I saw my coveralls, the blue fire retardant types that didn't seem to absorb anything until they are all wet. I grabbed them off the floor and jammed them into the sink under the running water. I let the sink run as I used the wet coveralls to mop the beige gut stains off the floor. It was working. Scrub, rinse, squeeze, scrub, rinse, squeeze. I repeated that pattern with all the frenzy of a trapped wolverine until the floor was passably clean. Holy shit, I thought. It was working. I worked my way out of the door, gave the coveralls one last final rinse, a massive one, rinsing until they were nearly spotless before I added some soap to the sink and mopped up the rest. I stood back and had a look from a bird's eye view. I couldn't see anything that remotely resembled shit. I had done it. I cleaned myself up as best as I could, scrubbing the shit off my knees and out of my hair. I dried myself off with the damp coveralls as best as possible before launching them into the bin. I tied the garbage bag closed and pulled the bag out of the can. There was another bag at the bottom of the trash can. I threw the bag outside, feeling the cold air hit my wet legs and balls. The wind had kicked up, and Jesus H. Christ, it hurt, chapping my legs almost instantly. My knob retreated into my abdomen like a threatened turtle. I returned to the bathroom for a couple of finishing touches. I emptied the can of air freshener spray that had been perched on the counter next to the sink that I hadn't used to rinse up. For the finale, I grabbed the last garbage bag from the bottom of the trash can. I pulled it up over my legs, making a bizarre pair of shorts before deciding that I would be better off using it as a skirt. I flipped it around, ripped the bottom seam of the bag open, and stepped into modesty, tying the bag off at my waist. I was now ready to go. I blew open the door to face the early dawn, scanning the only road into the lease for any signs of a vehicle, and to my relief there was none. I hurriedly made my way from the main office to my cold car as fast as my legs would take me in my new black plastic skirt. I jumped into my old jalopy and fired it up. The windows were a bit fogged, but I didn't care. I was out of there. I made it. I got a click or two down the road before seeing one of the office ladies coming towards me in her SUV. 
She waved as she passed and I waved back. I even gave her a big old shit-eating grin. When I got to my house, everything I had on me went straight into the trash, and I jumped right into the shower, being careful to touch the least number of things possible as I made my way under the hot shower. I showered for a good 30 minutes before I felt clean again. I dried off and jumped into bed. My girlfriend was still asleep, and to the best of my knowledge saw nothing, and knows nothing, of the incident to this day. Later that night, after the hangover had worn off, and my thoughts of my shitcident retreated from my mind, my boss called me. As I picked up the phone, I thought he was calling to fire me, but as it turned out, he was just calling to say thanks, that they got the report, and all was good. He had bought gift cards for me and the other guys to go out to dinner. That was nice of him, I thought. Before I could hang up, he said, There's just one more thing. I froze, phone in hand, wide-eyed with terror. I felt my bowels loosen one more time as a pit formed in my stomach, and I thought I might shit myself again. I clenched tight for good measure. Who emptied the whole can of air freshener in the office? The soup said it smelled like a bus full of old ladies in there the whole day. He had to open up every window in the place. You didn't let anyone use the office shitter, did you? I was surprised with how fast the lies came to my lips. Let anyone use the shitter? No, of course not. Maybe it was a faulty can and it just let go all on its own. He processed for a couple of seconds. Was I doomed? Hmph, he sighed. I guess it's not a big deal. You know what, though? I don't know, what? I asked, bracing myself for anything. I'd hate to be the guy who has to pull your shit-filled jeans out of the outhouse. Those don't look like they'll make it all the way up a honey wagon hose. Have a great night. I could hear him laughing as he hung up.